Now it is my honor to welcome up our testimony for the night, Miss Melissa. Give it up, Ms. Melissa. <sighs> Never gets easier. Thank you. Okay, all right. Hello, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who celebrates recovery from a chemical addiction, and I am in recovery for codependency. My name is Melissa. Hi. Will you pray with me? Lord. As I reflected back on my testimony this last week, God, I was just so in awe that this is my story, Lord, that, that you would just take a sinner like me and you would just pluck me out of my sin and place me on a firm foundation with a plan and a purpose. God, I don't know who I am that you would do that. So, Lord, would you just be exalted and glorified tonight through my sharing? God, would you just calm my nerves, Lord, and would you just give me a humble heart as I deliver these miracles, Lord, that you've performed in my life? God, I just pray for the newcomer. Lord, I remember being a newcomer, and I know that pain. God, so I just lift them up to you, Lord. Would they just be comforted tonight? Would they just receive a warm welcome from our ministry? God, and I just pray for the still-suffering addicts that are out there, Lord, that that you would just do a work in us this week, God, so that we could just be a light in their life, Lord, and we could just somehow be an example of you in their life this week, God, and I just give this time to you. In your name, amen. amen. <clears throat> I was born Tuesday, September 20th, 1983, in Modesto, California. My parents were married when I was born, but soon divorced when I was two. This meant that I grew up with no memories of what it's like to be a family with my mother and my father. My childhood was full of chaos and fear due to alcoholism and addiction. I learned at an early age to stuff my feelings. I was raised as an only child in my mother's home, and although my dad had other children, I never bonded with them, and to this day we do not speak. I was a very lonely child, and I never had any close friends. We moved around a lot, and I never completed a school year in one school. This created a lack of self-confidence as I never stayed in one place long enough to truly make a friend. I struggled with schoolwork and keeping up with my grades, often missing homework assignments and failing to meet the standards for the grade level that I was in. I was threatened with being held back and reminded constantly that I was behind. This caused me to feel deep shame and self-hatred. I would call myself stupid and ugly and unworthy. Being the new kid at school only confirmed my inner dialogue. My bright orange hair, pale skin, freckles, and nearly invisible eyelashes and eyebrows seemed to bring me nothing but negative attention. I could never blend into my new surroundings, and I just wanted to hide. Back at home in my early years, my mom struggled to raise me on her own. Throughout the years, my mom would date and live with men. They were usually one type, addict and alcoholic. One thing that was very clear is that I was not their child. One boyfriend in particular was very scary to me as a child. When he was under the influence, he would go off and nothing was off limits. 
This relationship was on and off for years. We would stay and endure it for a time, leave, and then return a short time later. The cycle continued for a few years. By the time I entered junior high, we were away from the sky for good. We had moved to a new area of town, and I was starting yet another new school. I wanted so badly for this school year to be different than the times before. I longed for friendships, and I, and I desired to fit in. By this time, I was old enough to wear makeup, so I began to experiment. I had no idea what I was doing and chose makeup much too dark for my skin tones. Instead of blending in, I stood out, and this became a new source of bullying. The peers I faced in junior high were much crueler than the ones I had faced in elementary. I cannot explain the agony I felt at this time. I wondered what was wrong with me, and my inner shame grew. At home, things had gotten worse. My mom had lost her job, and having no place else to go, we went to stay with my newly single dad. My mom and I shared a bedroom for a while, but soon I was staying there alone. Having had my parents together in the same home for a short time filled me with some deep longing I had for family. It was strange, yet it offered me comfort. I stayed with my dad for the remainder of the summer, and at this point in his life, he was deep in his addiction. He was, he was a newly single bachelor with a great paying job and lots of friends. He had a custom made bar for his new place and night after night, he had a house full of people sitting at the bar drinking and carrying on. I remember feeling so cool sitting there with a bunch of adults. I was often offered to partake but I always declined. I was only 13. I knew that it would offer me nothing but trouble. As school began, I had moved back with my mom, and I was starting yet another new school year in another new school. By this time, my mom had found a boyfriend who was not abusive or an alcoholic. There were no huge fights or fits of rage, and this was a very new experience for me. This was the year that I began to realize I was struggling with depression and anxiety. I slept a lot, I had no interest, I had no desire to make friends or have a social life. I was content isolating in my room and sleeping as much as I could. I had no way to express how I was feeling. I just knew that I was very hurt. When I was 15, my life was about to take a major turn for the worse. I had finally found friends that would accept me. Looking back now, I can see how inevitable it was. I began to hang around with the druggies and the outcasts. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Soon I was experimenting with drugs and alcohol. First marijuana, then it quickly escalated to a daily use of meth. I was running hard and numbing all the pain I had held in for so many years. Fast forward to a year later, and I was again living with my dad. He was the only adult that I knew that didn't mind my drinking or drug use. He had no rules, so my life became a free-for-all. That year, I had become the popular kid for all of the wrong reasons. My dad would allow massive parties at his house with his friends and mine. I was only 16. It was this year that I met the man that I would marry and start a family with. I fell head over heels in love, and overnight, he became my everything. We were young, in love, and running wild. By the time that we graduated from high school, our hard partying ways had caught up to us, and we decided we needed a fresh start. 
My soon-to-be husband's family was from Missouri. At that time, I had never left the state of California, and here we were, moving to the middle of nowhere Missouri, Cross Timbers, Missouri, a town with a population of 187 people. My soon-to-be mother-in-law and I bonded during this time as she was born and raised there. She and I would talk on the phone for hours and she often sent us care packages from home. She is a faithful believer in Jesus and our conversations were often about the Lord. I was not raised in a believing home and I had no idea about the healing power of Jesus. She sent me my first Bible and I began reading the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And it was there in the middle of nowhere in Missouri that I asked Jesus to be my savior. But sadly, it would be many more years before I truly surrendered my life over to his loving care. I had sobered up during this time and soon found out that I was expecting. In January of 2003, I gave birth to my firstborn daughter, Ashlyn. I was 1,800 miles away from home with no family. I was scared and I felt so, so alone. I had a very difficult time in my pregnancy and I was in and out of the hospital a lot. And those were very dark and depressing years for me. I continued to read my Bible and pray. I didn't know it at the time, but after the birth of my daughter, I was suffering from postpartum depression and anxiety, something I still battle to this day. Daily chores became increasingly difficult for me with a newborn. I cried a lot and I had no interest in doing anything. It was a very familiar feeling and it was agony. In 2005, we moved back to Modesto and on April 23rd, we were married. Marriage meant very little to the people in my life as I grew up. Nobody stayed faithful and no one stayed married. I felt so many emotions that day and one thing I remember very very clearly was the honest prayer that I prayed in my heart. I would take my vow seriously and I would not let my marriage or my family fail. The next few years brought a lot of changes to our family. We began to attend church regularly and we expanded our family with two more girls, Avery Estelle, born in 2008, and Olivia Kate, born in 2010. All three of my pregnancies were very hard and stressful on my body. I was in and out of the hospital all nine months with extreme hyperemesis and preterm labor. I never knew if I would deliver my babies to full term. It was nine months of extreme sickness, contractions, bed rest, and medications. But the Lord was so faithful to me during that time. All three of my girls were delivered healthy and at 40 weeks. Yeah, thank you. After Olivia was born, my doctors and I decided that having any more babies would be too risky, so I opted for a tubal ligation. During the surgery, the doctor slipped and I developed a nerve entrapment disorder. This caused severe pain in my left leg, hip, and thigh. I was given medications to treat the pain. I was beginning to develop postpartum depression and severe anxiety. I was given anti-anxiety and anti-depression meds all coupled with pain medication. It was the perfect storm. I was medicating a spiritual problem and I was desperate for relief. I began a crazy cycle of doubling up on my dose to try to numb out as much as I possibly could or I would go cold turkey and flush all of my pills in order to get some degree of my sanity back. 
And this went on for six long years. I would often plead with God just to let my life end my suffer- so that my suffering would be done. And once I was gone, he could heal my husband and my children. We had stopped attending church and we were isolated. I was a stay-at-home mom with a full-blown addiction to anything that would make me numb. Yet, I never stopped talking to God. I never stopped asking him to deliver me. In 2016, I had had all that I could take, and through a random Facebook post of a friend of a friend, I found Maynard's Recovery Center. I checked myself in for a 28-day treatment the very next day, and it was one of the best decisions I have ever made. While in treatment, the Lord blessed me with an amazing godly counselor, Chris. He loves Jesus, and he loves Celebrate Recovery. The first time I had ever heard of Celebrate Recovery was from Chris. He encouraged me to attend, and on my first Tuesday home, I attended Big Valley Grace Celebrate Recovery. Thank you, Chris, for leading me to this very special place. When I walked into Celebrate Recovery, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. People were dancing and singing, and there was real joy here. I expected it to look like the AA meetings that I had been attending. People were truly celebrating their recovery. Then Pastor Stubbert walked on stage and began to speak, and I was stunned. I couldn't believe that he was allowed to say those things in church. (laughs) It was shocking. I had to know more, so I kept coming back. In the coming weeks, the teachings and the testimonies kept me learning about how God and addiction were meant to be dealt with in the same place, church. In secular recovery, I was taught to say my higher power, but in celebrate recovery, I can confidently say Jesus. It's the best part. Over time, I began to hear about sponsorships and step studies. I was ready to unravel all of the years of pain and shame. It took me a few weeks to find my open chair group as I bounced around a little. I am one of the blessed few that the Lord removed my compulsion to use. I knew that I was still a mess and I really needed help. And I finally found coca, codependent to a chemical addict. After all, I was raised in active addiction. I found my voice in that room and I began to understand codependency and its negative effects on my life. Soon, I joined a step study and I began to confront what I had run from. Steps one, two, and three taught me that God is God and I am not. His plans are better than mine and I am not in control. But step four was entirely different. I began to feel anxious, scared, and overwhelmed. I was crisis calling anyone who would answer. I felt alone and I felt stuck. I sat day after day at my dining room table with tears just streaming down my face, asking the Lord to show me where to even start. The pain was so much and the thought of digging it up was unbearable. I was convinced that these teeny tiny little boxes on the four-step inventory page could not hold all of that mess. They did and they still continue to do so. Through working my inventory, I realized the parts that I played in my own trauma. I found patterns and defects of character that I never knew existed. One of the promises of recovery is that we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. As I unloaded all of that baggage, I began to get a clear perspective. I began to become self-aware. I walked in unworthiness, abandonment, and trauma most of my life. The self-awareness brought me freedom. 
Freedom to seek a deeper healing in my relationship with my creator. Hebrews 4.16 says that I can freely approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. And as I did this, I found God to be true to his attached promise. There I will find mercy and grace in my time of need. My life began to change as my perspective on myself changed. In steps six and seven, I was eager to surrender my defects of character and find forgiveness and amends for all the pain of my past. In 2016, when I decided to go to treatment, I had removed a majority of my family from my life, including my mom. I thought that I was creating a healthy boundary to heal, but I was only imprisoning myself to the pain of unforgiveness. Through an honest inventory with a new sponsor, I was able to work steps eight and nine with my mom and ask for her forgiveness. Today, we are in communication. She has attended CR with myself and my family, and we are seeking a healthy and healing relationship. This relationship is only one of the many that the Lord has restored in my life. In 2020, my husband and I separated for a time due to the dysfunctional patterns of our past. That was one of the most painful times of my life. I was desperate for healing in our home, but I was not in control of his choices. So I did all I knew to do, and that was to surrender him over to God with every belief that God loved him more than I ever could. With that surrender, the Lord showed me healthy boundaries and how to set them out of love. And today, my husband and I both work a program of recovery. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so emotional. I'm just so thankful our daughters are witnessing us working on ourselves individually and together. Thank you, Nick, for being my best friend and for choosing God in our family. Today, I'm a work in progress. I meet with the Lord daily through prayer journaling and honest in step and regular meetings. I'm eager to work my steps with the expectation that whatever wound the Lord presents, he's going to faithfully heal. Steps 11 and 12 keep me accountable to God, myself, and my sobriety. I reserve a quiet time to meditate on the word of God and give back by facilitating open share groups, being a greeter and a sponsor. A few verses I hid in my heart when I first began this journey. 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, God in all of his glory will confirm, establish, and strengthen you. And the second is Joel 2.25, and I will restore to you the years the swarming locusts have eaten. I hold these truths close to my heart because they are true for me today. Through my recovery, I have actively seen the Lord do miracles and wonders in my life. He has been faithful to continue the patterns of restoration. Because of Christ and the 12 steps of recovery, I do not walk in unworthiness, shame, or abandonment. I'm not stupid, ugly, or unworthy. I'm a child of God. My first year of recovery was so bittersweet. There was pain, joy, peace, victory, failure, anger, and frustration. I would have days, days of absolutely giving up only to surrender and come back the very next week. I can stand here tonight and tell you that it truly does work if you work it. When I walked into these rooms six years ago, I could have never imagined this being my testimony. 
Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. His promises are true. Christ has done far more for me than I could have ever asked or imagined. I'm gonna cry again. In 2006, I attempted to go back to school to earn a degree. I walked in so much fear and shame that I continually sabotaged every attempt to finish. Through a lot of inventories, tears, healing, sponsor meetings, and prayer, I decided to give it another try. In August of 2020, I re-enrolled in college to finish my degree to pursue my dreams of becoming a nurse. The last three semesters in college, I've maintained a 4.0. That's a miracle. I will apply to the Modesto Junior College nursing program this coming February. Thank you. I do not know what the future holds for me in that regard, but that's okay because Romans 8:28 says that he works things together for the good of those that love him and have been and have been called according to his purpose. I, like others here, am a first-generation believer who has found lasting sobriety and recovery. Breaking generational curses is one of my savior's specialties. <laughs> to the newcomer, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. The seat that you occupy tonight was made just for you, and don't ever believe the lie that you don't belong. Whether you are on week one, day one, or hour one, get connected to an open chair group and please keep coming back. Do not quit before the miracle happens. I was a newcomer once too and I know how scary that can be. Come say hi, I would love to meet you. Give these 12 steps a try because you never know what could happen. To my forever family, thank you for continuing to show up week after week for your recovery so I can show up for mine. Thank you to my sponsor for never giving up on me and leading me to a place of forgiveness and amends for myself and others. To a special group of ladies in my life right now, thank you for loving me so well and being there to pick up the pieces when I'm falling apart. To the ladies I sponsor, thank you for doing this journey with me. Your dedication to God and your recovery inspires me daily. And to the ladies who have completed a step study with me and are in my open chair group, Thank you for giving me a safe place to heal from my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. My name is Melissa, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus who celebrates her recovery. Thank you for letting me share. Someone turned it off. <laughs> Debbie. If you didn't know, Debbie didn't introduce herself. Her name is Debbie. She's a grateful believer in Jesus. I'm just kidding. It's not my inventory to do, but that was Debbie. Melissa, thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. I remember your first night walking into recovery and uh, how freaked out you were. And I'm super excited. And I don't know what you're talking about. I never say inappropriate things from up here. 
So grateful for that. Hey, let's, uh, if you're watching online, the focus question tonight is have you, um, how have you mistreated your mind, body, family, or the church? That's a big one. Did this prevent God from working effectively in your life and why? And so take a look at that. But the rest of you stand up. Let's uh, close our time out with a serenity prayer. And don't forget, if Melissa's testimony impacted your life, tell her so. She's usually at the information booth greeting people. And also tonight, if you see her, wish her a happy birthday and buy her a piece of that chocolate cake. So... Actually, you know what? Tonight, chocolate cake's on me tonight for you. Uh, get, get that free piece of dessert, man, um, if you stick around. But let's close with serenity prayer. Not for all of you, no. <sighs> man, it's not your birthday. Um, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, Enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. It's time for our open share groups. If you're a first-time guest, right across the hallway. Second-time guest, come right up front. We'd love to get you to a group where you hear experience, strength, and hope. Love you guys.